that I can say that. Leviticus chapter 1. Um, I did not find the page number. I usually do that. I apologize if somebody is using the Pew Bible. What is it? 81. 81. And so it's in the uh, Pew Bible there. You turn there, click to that. I'll have it on the screen as well, but I think, you know, it's always good to have it in front of you. While you're turning there, let me start with this. The other day, uh, my kids and I got into our car in the morning before school, and something in our car smelled, to say it smelled horrible would be a kind understatement. It was, oh, what is that? It was disgusting. Now, someone who shall remain nameless left food in the car. Not me, but we'll leave it at that. And because of that, we, whether it was there overnight or a couple nights, just something that should not be happened, and it was disgusting. We're driving down Lakeshore, the windows are down, just, oh, it was gross. Have you been in a situation like that where just you entered into a room or something happened and the smell made you back out or like you just wanted to gag or some of you are elbowing the person next to you and they're the cause of that sometimes. Um, there might, we've and had those moments where we enter in and the smell of something pushes us away. It's repelling. No. And we have to get it. But at the same time, what if it's the opposite? What if it's a good smell? I have some candles that I put out today, and maybe in this room they weren't as powerful, but you've had that where you've had some candles, and somebody has a scented candle, and you're like, hmm, what is that? And you're thinking, where, where can I get that one? That smells great. If you've had that where something smells really good, and it's pleasing, it's inviting, it brings us in, right? Well, the passage that we're going to look at today has this theme of smell, good pleasing smell as a really important theme to it. And it's going to be important as we go into this passage as far as who we are and who we are before the Lord. So I want to keep that in your mind as we get into this first message in Leviticus. We've started this series in the Old Testament book of Leviticus uh, last week. Um, and intro, introing the message last week, we talked about the fact that this can be a difficult book. Uh, one person talked about it saying, many a pious vow to read straight through the Bible from cover to cover has floundered on the shores of Leviticus. Um, it just can be a difficult book. But it, regardless of that, it's an important book. It's a vital book, which we talked about last week. It tells us how God wants us to be in community with him, that he wants his community, his people to worship him, to be representative of him. It guides them in how to be the people of God that they are. So we are we're going through Leviticus for the next couple of months, taking it section by section. We're not going to be able to hit every chapter, but we're hitting key ones from each section to understand the larger message of this book. This first section that we're going to get into today is, covers the first seven chapters. We're not going to, let me just clarify, we're not going to go through seven chapters this morning. But these seven chapters are about the offerings that people would bring to the tabernacle to offer to the Lord. It says at the end of chapter 7, this is the law of the burnt offering, of the grain offering, of the sin offering, of the guilt offering, of the ordination offering, and of the peace offering, which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai, on the day when he commanded the people of Israel to bring their offerings to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. And so the section goes through all of these different offerings that were brought. We're going to focus in on the first one, the burnt offering, which is seen as probably one of the more important ones um, for how it not only its own focus, but how it connects to the others. So what does this special, this important vital offering, this ritual from their time 
have to do with us today, and what in the world does it have to do with pleasing smells? Uh, before we get into that, let's pray and ask God to speak to our hearts. God, we just thank you so much for your presence. We thank you that we can be here together with you. We thank you, God, for this community, how you've made us part of your people, uh, how you're growing us, how you care for us, how you love us. God, I pray as we go look at your word today and in the weeks to come in this, this series that you would let us see how you are concerned and care for every detail of our lives that you want to be with us. You want to be with us in relationship and community. You're guiding us. You care for us, God. Let us see that. Whatever we're bringing to you, whatever we're carrying with us this morning, God, we bring those things to you, and we just pray that you would speak to us from your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And so we're going to just jump right in from the very beginning. So chapter Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1 says this, The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, and when it says tent of meeting, that's the tabernacle. That's what they built here in the wilderness. If you go back to Exodus 25 to the end of Exodus, that's the instructions on how to build that. And so that, that was what we talked about last week if you weren't with us. So Moses, the Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. Now, three different times before this, God called for Moses to speak to the people. There's three different times. In Exodus 3, during Moses' commissioning story at the burning bush. In Exodus 19, when God gave them the Ten Commandments. And in Exodus 24, when God directed them how to make the tabernacle. And every moment, God is saying, Moses, say to the people, speak to the people. And here Leviticus begins. The whole book of Leviticus is God saying, Moses, I want the people to hear me. I want them to hear what I'm saying. I want to speak. I am speaking to the people. We could quickly skip over this, but we can't. God is saying this for the people's benefits, not the priests, not the leaders. He wants, and they're part of it, obviously, but not them exclusively. He wants people to hear how to worship him, how to come to him, how his cares for them. This is countercultural from their time. At the other cultures during the time of Leviticus, when this was all happening, common people would be kept away from worship rituals. They'd have nothing to do with this. They wouldn't be anywhere near. They wouldn't hear. They wouldn't talk. They had nothing to do with the gods. But here the God of Israel is saying, I want the common people to hear me. I want them to know what I have to say. I'm speaking to you. So that's the first thing that's super important that really blankets all of Leviticus God speaks to us. God speaks to us. He wants us to be with him. This is a God who's talking to us, who's communing with us, who wants us to hear him. There's a lot of people passionate about politics in our country today, but it doesn't matter if your candidate is in the office or not. No one can just pick up the phone and call the president. No one could get on the phone and talk to Mayor Johnson. There's just people in our world, in our country, that you just can't get in contact with regardless of how much you want. But that's not true with God. He wants to speak to us, and he says we can speak and come to him. We have access to God. He initiates the contact. He makes this possible. He speaks to us. He wants us to understand 
that he wants us to be with him. And he won't stop talking. We have his word that we can hear from. He speaks to us through the very reality of his son. John says in, in the New Testament, it says in John, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. God is constantly pursuing us, coming to us, wanting us to know how much he wants us to be with him. It says in Psalm 119 about the word of God, about the scriptures. Your laws are wonderful. No wonder I obey them. The teaching of your word gives light. So even the simple can understand. I pant with expectation, longing for your commands. Come and show me your mercy as you do for all who love your name. Guide my steps by your word so I will not be overcome by evil. The the word that God has for us, when God speaks to us, it comes from a place of care, of guidance, of protection, of wanting to be in relationship with us. Know that God wants you to know him. God wants you to know him. And he is speaking to you. He is calling out to you. God is not silent. He is not quiet. He is the God who speaks. And he wants you to hear him. That leads to the second thing. After giving this general intro about the offerings, telling the people, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. After he says that, he talks about the burnt offering, this offering that we're looking at today. And if if we were to go through every single part, of every single verse of chapter 1, we would see that it breaks into three pretty distinct sections. It says in verse 3, if his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, cow, bulls. If his offering, verse 10, if his, if his gift offering for a burnt offering is from the flock, from the sheeps or the goats. And then it says in verse 14, if his offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, that he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or pigeons. There's di- each, it's all the same offering, But different people are going to bring different types of animals. Some will bring bulls, some will bring lamb, sheep, some will bring the different types of birds. All the different things, but why these different types of animals? Each represents different economic states, what people are able to bring. Some are able, within their resources and what they have, they have the more wealthy, the more hard to get, the, the, the bulls, the cows, the steers. Some, kind of the more just regular thing, would have a lamb, a sheep, and even that can be hard to come by. But others have birds, uh, just simple pigeons, being able to find them. And we'll see in others, God even lets them bring offerings of flour, of cakes, of things like that. Here's the thing. Whether it was somebody who would have something wealthier, kind of just normal every day, somebody really, really struggling, it didn't matter what they brought as long as they brought what they could. There wasn't anything more special about a bull than a sheep or a bird. The people with the bulls weren't getting a supersized blessing, and the people with the pigeons were getting like the little Costco sample blessing when they brought their thing. That wasn't the reality. It wasn't, there wasn't any extra by what you brought. The point was that you brought what you could. And the reason for the different tiers is that God wanted everyone to be able to come to him regardless of what you had. And so that's the second thing we need to see right here off the back, or right right here at the front. Everyone can come to the Lord. Everyone 
can come to the Lord. We self-evaluate and we self-filter. I'm successful and God would be impressed with me. I have this bull to offer. Obviously, he's going to be super impressed. Nope. That's what you have. You should be able to bring that. Another person, I can't compete with the guys with the bulls. All I have is this bird. God's not going to be impressed. Why would God even want me around? God wants you as much as them. We bring what we can. God didn't give the instructions because these were his favorite animals and he was hungry and he was setting out the specifics of what he wanted. He gave the instructions so that everyone would know wherever you're at, with whatever you have, you can come to me. You can come to me. You know, and some of you in here, I don't know when you think about who you are before God, but some of you are like, well, yeah, God's going to be impressed with me. Obviously, I've done this, and I come from this type of a family, and we've done this. God's not impressed with any of that. He just wants you to come. And others are, man, kind of embarrassed of this, and I don't know if God would want me around. God knows all of it, and he wants you as much as the next person. God wants everyone to come to him. It says in Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Romans 10 says, Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Not just the wealthy and the well-off and have everything together. Everyone. Everyone. Every single one of you. Myself. Anyone you can think of. God wants them to come to him. And they can because he makes that possible. God is calling all of us. Whatever you're carrying, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you've done, whatever you're processing, whatever's on your back, whatever it is, you can come to God. God wants you to come to him. Not, okay, sure, come on. God is open arms invitation wanting you to come to him. Everyone can come to God. It then gets into the, the offering, gets into the, the sacrifice that's given. That's next, next paragraph. And again, it gives the same thing three different times with very specific details, talking about the bull, talking about the flock, talking about the birds. I'm going to start in verse 3. It says, If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. Now, just in this verse right here, a couple of, Again, the, the, God is in the details here. This is important. So what are the different things is it telling us? Well, first off, this is described as an offering, not a sacrifice. They're bringing an offering before the Lord. It will be sacrifice. That's an important detail. But sacrifices give the idea of something that we're giving up of value that we might not want to give up. But offering is a gift. I'm bringing this to you, for you, because of who you are, because of who we are. And this is how it's described. I'm bringing an offering to the Lord. It talks about the bull, the lamb, the bull, the lamb, or the bird. They must bring, uh, whatever one they're bringing, it must be without blemish. There's not really a lot of clarity, at least in all the different things I could look at as far as why it has to be a male, but the most kind of idea is that the reproduction of needing more animals, and so protecting that reality. So that's really not as big of a thing. The more important thing is the fact that it's without blemish, that it has no wounds, no sores, no broken limbs, no sickness. Because somebody could say, 
hey, I have a lamb for the Lord. I'm not just bringing in a simple bird. But then the lamb that you bring has like sores on it and a broken leg. And really what you're doing is you're just scraping the bottom of the barrel, just bringing something to the Lord rather than bringing the best. And so God isn't just looking for us to bring the token gift. He wants us to bring a gift that represents our heart and what he deserves. And so we have to bring something without blemish. Bringing a gift to a perfect, holy God means broken, sickly gifts are unacceptable. I have, I, I'm bringing to him that which he deserves. And so I have my herd of sheep up here this morning, if you didn't see them. And so we think about people in this time. This is the thing. I mean, you can come in on a Sunday. You can come in, sit, sing some songs, listen, and then leave. In some ways, it's a little bit of a passive experience if you allow it to be. It shouldn't be because you should be singing, should be connecting and all this different thing. But in the Old Testament, the worship was, the people were incredibly in part of it. They're searching through the, they're going through the different animals that they have. They're bringing it in. They're doing parts of the ritual. And so they have, so you go and you find a lamb that's without blemish. And so I have a bunch of animals here. And like this one looks like it's got the Rona. This one has something on it. This is a Star Trek one. So that's obviously deformed and there's something wrong there. Um, Sorry, but there's one right way of doing that. So um, Packers, that's obviously blemish type of a thing. Um, this one's good. So no sores, no broken arms, no other stuff. Doesn't, doesn't have the vid. It's, there's no blemish here. And so they're to go through and find and especially they've been taking care of this and maybe the kids are attached and whatever, but they finally figure out and find that lamb without blemish and they bring that before the Lord. It says in verse four, he will lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him that he shall kill the bull before the Lord and, or the lamb or the birds and Aaron's sons, the priest, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And so the idea that they would put, they would have this animal, and I don't have a knife up here or anything. This is, this is going to be a very PG uh, illustration. Let me just clarify that. I know if there would be kids in the room. Um, no ketchup bottles, like, to give the whole effect. But the idea is that they're putting, the person bringing the offer, that would be pretty funny, though. Can we just acknowledge that? <laughs> like a little pump right here. Um, throwing blood at Gabby and Alexander. Um, they, they're told to put their hand on the animal. And again, there's kind of differences, as far, but the general kind of scholarly consensus here is what's happening here is this represents me. This is mine. I'm associating who I am with who this is. And I'm bringing this before the Lord in that way. And so this, this innocent, without blemish lamb or bull or birds I'm saying this is me, and this is mine, and I'm bringing this as a gift before the Lord. Why is this happening? Why bring it? Why do the hand thing? It says to make atonement for the person bringing the gift. It says that in verse 4. It shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. There's two general ideas of what's meant by atonement. Paying a ransom 
and purifying. It's not either or, both are present when we talk about this idea. Ransom, ransoming and purifying. One Leviticus scholar, Jay Schuyler, says this, on the one hand, sin or impurity puts the offerer at risk of the Lord's judgment. As a result, the offerer needs ransoming. On the other hand, sin and impurity are defiling. As a result, the offerer also needs purifying. We have sin, that's an offense, and just like you are speeding and you get a ticket, there's something to be paid for the, the, the infraction. Our sins are a slight against the reality of who God is, and there's a ransom that must be paid for those sins. Sin also, for lack of a better phrase, dirties us, defiles us, makes us of blemish. And so we need purified. We need to be cleaned. And so the idea of the offering that's presented would pay the price, ransom, and do the purifying. Another scholar, Kenneth Matthew, says, the word make atonement indicated an act of reconciliation with an aggrieved individual. In this case, the offended party was the Lord, not the worshiper. The worshiper angered God by his sin against the Lord, and the atoning sacrifice pacified the Lord's anger. So this offering, then, is a ransom purification. The lamb serves as a ransom for the person, and the blood from the unblemished lamb purifies them. The blood from the uh, lamb is put on the altar, not on the person. Because remember, this is about the tabernacle. They're coming to the tabernacle, this tent of meeting, this place to be in God's presence, to be near him, the t- the, which, this tent which represented his, his presence. The common person coming into the presence of God Almighty. We are not him. And so even the person that hasn't done anything wrong is still not perfect, is still inferior, is still not God. And the idea of coming into the presence of God, that just, there's the the fear of what if there is a defilement? What if there is something wrong? What if there is impurity? We have to have the ransom and we have to be purified in order to be able to come into the presence of God. God's reaction to my sin is my reaction to the smell in my car last week. Ugh, but like a million times more. He is a holy God, and in that, he is perfectly just. Sin brings his wrath. That's the natural reaction to something that is wrong. But the ransom paid by the lamb, the purification of the sin by its blood, removes the sin. The ransom is paid, atonement has happened, and now the person can come near. Because this innocent one shed its blood, and was put on the altar, the ransom is paid, the space is purified, and the person can bring their requests, can bring themselves, can bring their lives into the presence of God. It says in verse 6, Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces, and the sons of Aaron the priest shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire, And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall arrange the pieces, the head and the fat, on the wood that is on the fire of the altar. But its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water. They say that the reason why they would wash them or anything is like, this is the intestines. And that's, I mean, I don't don't need the doctor to tell us why that's gross. And so they would wash everything off. Again, nothing to defile, nothing to bring impurity, everything clean, put on the altar, and they would put it on fire and everything would be consumed. All of it would be consumed, transformed into smoke that would be seen as an image rising to God. 
This is why the burnt offering was the most serious and the most costly, because the entire animal was consumed. It wasn't, I'm just going to give a part to God. I'm just going to give a little bit. It was, I'm giving all to him. J. Schuyler says, by giving the whole animal to the Lord, the offerer acknowledged that their sinfulness before a holy God was so great that only a full and costly ransom payment would suffice. Remember, this offering is representing the person bringing the gift. So as one scholar says, it is a gift of complete surrender to the Lord. I am acknowledging who he is. I am acknowledging I need, I want to be with him. He's inviting me to do this. I'm bringing my gift to him so I can bring him, be in his presence and seek his face. It says in verse 9, And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. With a pleasing smell to the Lord. Now this doesn't mean that the Lord is like floating above the tabernacle and like if you listen really hard, you'll hear. <laughs> like that's, that's not the image, that's not what it's telling. It's painting a word picture, to he- word picture here to communicate the idea that God is pleased. God approves. God accepts this offering. And in turn, come to me. Come to me. You can come into my presence. The person can come near. They can bring their prayer. They can bring their concern. They can bring whatever that is because God has made a way to make it where they can come to be in his presence. These offerings were typically made at day and night, the person, but regularly. The person had to voluntarily do this. People wanted to be in his presence. They wanted to come to him. So they brought these offerings time and time and time again. But remember, God is the one who is saying to them, explaining this to them. God is the one unpacking this to them. So what does that mean? It means God is saying, I want you to come to me. I want you to be in my presence. Here's how that happens. As a perfect holy God, talking with humanity that is broken and blemished and everything that we deal with, I can't be around sin, but I've made it a way that to purify and pay for that so you can come and be in my presence. God wants us to be with him. And so that's the last thing within this, the whole idea of this. God makes a way for people to come to him. God makes a way for people to come to him. Now we think about this sacrifice, this ritual of what they're doing why do we not? I mean, this is just an illustration. We haven't heard any buying. There's no bulls here. We don't have any birds. Why don't we do this? Why don't we have these sacrifices anymore? Again, we have to remember how God is working through history. He's creating this nation in the Old Testament. But Hebrew tells us in chapter 10, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. What we see here in Leviticus is how God, creating this nation, taught them how to be in his presence, how to come to them, and how to be the people that he's making them to be. But what God was speaking to them here in Leviticus ultimately also pointed to what what was to come in Jesus. Why do we not continue to bring these sacrifices? Why do we not have to do this anymore? Because Jesus made the sacrifice, he brought the offering to end all offerings. He did it to where it never had to be done again. 
It says in Mark 10, 45, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you hear the language there? The idea of identifying with the reality of who Jesus is, this lamb paid a ransom purification sacrifice so that the ransom could be paid, we could be purified and come into the presence of God. Jesus says he came to be a ransom for everyone. It says in Ephesians 5, 2, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That this smells good language. I mean, think the, the reek of a, the sin of smell, the, the reek that sin smells, but the beautiful, inviting, pleasing aroma of the sacrifice, of surrender, of total commitment, that is pleasing. That smells good. And Jesus is offering the ultimate sacrifice, giving everything. And that is a fragrant offering, Ephesians tells us. It says in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. If there could ever be a countercultural word in relationship to Leviticus 1 and our culture, it's what 1 Peter is saying right there. Because too often we try to think that we have to buy our way into God's presence. I've given this. I've done this. I'm better than that person. I'm, my family believed these things. My parents did this. We can't buy our way into the presence of God. Someone without blemish had to pay the price so that we can be both ransomed and purified and freely come in. And Jesus did that. That's what he did. It says in Hebrews 7, unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Jesus makes it possible that we can come into the presence of God. The reality is, is that we are broken people. We, we, we have blemish. We know we mess up. We know that we compromise. We know we do stupid things. We know we do things that we're ashamed of. Every person does that. That isn't meant to beat us up. That isn't meant to depress us. That's not to make us feel fatalistic. It's just a reality. We do stupid things. We do wrong. And the reality is, is that a holy God who longs to be with us can't be in the presence of sin. But God makes it possible that through Jesus, our ransom is paid, our sin is purified, and even in our still messing up, impure, whatever that might be, we can come to God now, not because of who we are, but because who Jesus is. He makes it possible that we can come to God because of him, we have access. We have the opportunity to be children of God. It says in Ephesians 3, In Jesus and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Because of Jesus paying the price for us, because of his sac, his offering, we can confidently come to God. 1 Peter 3, Christ suffered for our sins once for all. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. 
Because you are at your life and who you are is at home with God. And apart from him, we are lost. You, you know, you've had that day, you've had that week where it's just, I mean, my last couple weeks have been like that, where it's just lots of stuff to do and different things to accomplish and then things you drop the ball on and it's just kind of go, 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 go. Then finally when you get home and you can just sit down and you're just like, oh, who's had that in the chair at any point? Or you would love to have that, just, oh, I'm home. And maybe for you, the home isn't that, but there's some place that when you get away from all of it and you sit down and it's, and the reality of who we are as humans and the reality within our condition and what it means to live, we are at home only with God. And we do everything we can to try to relieve the stress and remove the shame, take away the guilt, make ourselves feel like we're in control, and we have to stop. We have to acknowledge we can't do it. We can't buy our way. We can't fix our way. We can't change. We have to come to him and identify with what he is offering for us that we could have our sins paid for, washed clean, and can come into the presence of God. It says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. In the Old Testament, the people brought their sacrifices, but Jesus brought the offering for all of humankind. And so the last two questions for today is, one, will you receive the offering that he has brought? God has brought this to God to pay the price for us. He has said, will you identify with him? Will you trust who he is and what he's done for you so that your sins, the ransom of your sins can be paid for, the, pure, the, the purifying can happen, that we can know we can come to God forgiven, full, being covered with grace, given mercy, be able to become new people in him. Will you receive the gift that God has given you? And again, you don't have to pay for that. You don't have to fill out a form. It's not about being a good person or what your parents believed. It's coming and saying, I believe in Jesus and what he has done for me. Some of you are putting your faith in your own accomplishments or the accomplishments of others. You have to put your faith in who Jesus is and what he's done for you. But the second thing is, what are you, for? if you have done that, you have received that gift. The second question is for you then. Are you, are you living an all fully surrendered life to him? Because that's the reality. What made this offering acceptable? What made this offering a fragrant, great smell? One that God would be like, hmm, was the fact that it was without blemish. It was given, but it was all given. It wasn't just like the bottom of the barrel. It wasn't the pieces. It wasn't the leftovers. It wasn't just a portion. It was all. And some of us, we cannot compartmentalize faith away from the rest of our lives. Jesus doesn't want to be part of your life. He wants your life. And so are we living surrendered to him? Does the way we, we have to ask that question. Does the way that I live my life stink before God or does it bring a fragrant, pleasing aroma to him? 
There are moments it's going to stink. We come to him, we ask forgiveness, he cleanses us, we keep going. But the defining reality of my life, does it stink? Or am I living surrendered to him? That it would be a pleasing aroma to him. Romans, I don't have this in the slide, but Romans, and I don't have my Bible open right in front of me because I'm using my iPad. The limitations of technology. Romans 12 says, So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. And the kind that God finds acceptable is wholly given, fully given, completely surrendered. Does my life stink or is it an acceptable, fragrant aroma? And God is guiding us. God leads us into how to live that. But we have to trust him. God has made it possible for us to be with him. God has sent his son to be our atonement for him for, so that we can be one with him. You need to receive that gift today. And if you have, you need to live like you've received that gift, fully surrendered to him. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for the fact that you do love us, that you pursue us, that you save sinners. God, that you save us, that you redeem us, that you make it possible for us to come to you. God, let us never forget that we need you. Let us never lose sight of the fact that we desperately need you. God, I pray that you would make your grace real to us, your mercy real to us, what you've done for us. Make it real to our hearts and minds. For those who don't know you, God, let them not put their trust in other things but in you. Let them put their trust in the sacrifice that you have made on their behalf so that they can be come into your presence and be your children. God, for those